This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, Brother Ed, thank you for leading us in our worship this morning, and Brother Rich for that wonderful communion thought. We really appreciate you. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and you're always welcome to this church building whenever the doors are open. And I believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Amen. Uh, Real quick, I want to say thank you to those of you who were able to come out uh, this weekend for the planter uh, party. As you know, we've had a a couple of work parties over the past couple of weekends. We had a few of you show up and work on those potted plants out in the courtyard. And uh, for everyone who was able to come out and get their hands dirty in the dirt, we really, really appreciate you. So when you go by and check out those plants, think of uh, the the hard work that was put in by some of our members here. So we want to say thank you for that. We really, really appreciate you. Uh, This morning, uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series on the book of First John. And the book of First John is five chapters long, and as you know, we have been covering one chapter a week, which will help us get through the entire month of November. And in part one, we spent our time discussing how to walk in the light and how to remain purified through this wonderful spiritual discipline called confession. And last week in part two, we talked about the importance of not loving the world. And today in part three, we'll spend our time looking at chapter three, where the apostle John teaches us all how to love one another. But before we begin this morning, I want to pose this question to you. Have you ever met someone that didn't like you? Or is it, I guess it's just me then. I guess it's just me. Have you ever met someone that just, just didn't, didn't like you for, for whatever reason? Uh, um, I appreciate uh, Brother Ed asking the, the veterans to stand up because as I look across the auditorium and I see veterans, we are on the same wavelength. We've definitely had some people in our lives that, that didn't like us. Amen. When I was on active duty. <laughs> Amen. I had a lieutenant. For whatever reason, he just didn't, he didn't like me. And you know how I know? He told me, Sergeant Darden, I don't like you. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. And you know what he said? He said he didn't like my personality. I said, wow, I find that hard to believe. Um, he, he said he didn't like how I smiled all the time. Why are you smiling so much? Um, he didn't like uh, how... I worked within the military. You see, he questioned my motives on why I joined in the first place. He didn't like the fact that my PT score, my physical training score, was higher than his. This guy, for whatever reason, just didn't like me. And it really bothered me. So I began to ask the question, what's wrong with me? I would look in the mirror, give myself self-talk. We got to work on some things in your life, Jason. Maybe what he's saying is valid. So I would Uh, pontificate on what he said and and process it. And then I would go out of my way to go up to this lieutenant and tell him how special I thought he was. 
and how I really appreciated his perspective on my life. But I began to realize over time that there was nothing that I could do to cause this guy to start liking me. Nothing. And I want to make this clear to you, church. Some people will never like you. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter how many gifts you give, no matter uh, how cordial you are to them, they, they just won't like you. So what, what do we do in those situations, in those cases? Well, Scripture tells us that we've got to pray for them and we've got to be cordial. But I also remember in times in the Scripture where Jesus said, you've you got to move on sometimes. You've got to move on. Pray, love, be cordial, but don't spend all your time trying to convince people to like you. And here's another question. Have you ever had someone hate you? Forget the like. What about the hate? Have you ever had someone hate you before? And many of you are saying, no, no, I, I've never experienced that. Well, guess what, church? If you didn't know, the world hates you. The world hates you. If you open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to pick up on a couple of passages of Scripture this morning. If you go to that first slide, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 13. But before we get here, you guys follow along with me. I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses in your Bible. Just follow along with me. 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawless. But you know that he has appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who was born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not, get this, love his brother. And I guess I'll, I'll stop right there. As we look at this section of Scripture, we see the Apostle John building up a theological argument, a theological discussion. In the previous chapter, he talks about in chapter 2 how we have been born of God. And if we are born of God, God's love is lavished upon us so we can't continue on in a lifestyle of sin. And because Christians do not live a lifestyle of sin, he makes it clear in verse number 13 of this. And he says, Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates 
you. And we know as we look at this text, this is very, very strong language. What do you mean by that? If we really kind of exegete this passage, we know when he says the world, world here, uh, he's really talking about wicked people in the world. Not everybody, but wicked people in the world that do not belong to God, that have nothing to do or want anything to do with God. And, and the Apostle John really understood this concept And the other apostles understood this concept as well. Well, why is that? Commentators state that John, the apostle, was the first to be martyred for his faith. And and we don't know the exact story of his martyrdom, but during one point in his life, it was stated that because of his preaching the gospel, some people that were against him took him and threw him into a boiling pot of oil. So he really understood this concept that, look, if you're going to live a faithful life, some people are are going to hate you. They're not going to like you. And then he goes on to to set up this argument. He says, you know, remember remember back in Genesis chapter 4, the story of of Cain and Abel? And you guys know that story. If you think back in in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, we all know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. And the question is, well, why did he kill his brother? Scripture is very clear. Abel offered a sacrifice to God that was pleasing to him. Abel was really trying to serve the Lord. And Cain was upset because he was doing that. And he ties in this illustration to help us understand that wicked people do not like righteous people. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says wicked people hate righteous people. So I, I want to give you a couple of, of, of points and, and principles and ideas. So if you're taking notes, and by the way, there's a sermon outline in your bulletin. If you want to take that out, you can follow along with us and fill in some of the blanks there. I want to give us a couple of reasons on why I think the world hates Christians. And this is strong, strong stuff, but bear with me and you'll see where I'm going. Let's go to this next slide, if you will. I, uh, yesterday, was in San Diego, and I was at the Old Globe, and Mary and I and the kids, we got uh, free tickets to go see a play. It was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, So we went and saw that free play, and it was a great play, but as we were walking out the playhouse, I noticed down this aisle or this, this, this walkway that there were tents set up. And as I was looking at the tents, I walked by one, and it says, Does God exist? And then I saw this sign, ask an atheist, and that's what it says, you might like the answer. And as I was walking by, I said, does that say what I think it says? I mean, I really felt like Paul in Athens that day. I mean, it was was interesting. And you know, I really wanted to get into a discussion with this guy. I wanted to go up and Mary saw me. She was like, what do you do? I was taking pictures. I was like, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to go. And Mary said, Jason, don't you do it. Don't you, it doesn't make sense. Don't go over there. So I went over there and I just eavesdropped a little bit, okay? And I heard some of the discussion that was going on, and this this atheist fellow was really in a fight with a Christian, and they were going back and forth about how God is real and how he's not real, and who is Jesus, and is Jesus really the Son of God, and is the Bible true, so forth and so on. And they were just going back and forth, and it got into a really heated discussion. And I was just there the whole time like, man, this is good. I was trying to figure out when I was going to jump in, but I... I didn't jump in because a scripture popped into my head. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid. It's 
what the scripture says. So I held back, even though I really wanted to jump in, give him a piece of my mind. But as I was listening to the conversation, this really began to weigh on my heart. And I, I began to ask this question, why does the world hate Christians? Or why do wicked people hate Christians? Next slide. Uh, here's some reasons why I think the world or wicked people hate Christians. The wicked hate the Bible. They can't stand the Bible. And you know some people that are friends of yours or family members of yours or colleagues that just don't like the Bible. And the question is, well, why don't people like the Bible? Because the Bible speaks of absolute truth. And in our apologetics class, uh, Bible class on Sunday mornings, uh, Robert and Chuck have been walking us through some of this material and talking about it. Here, here's one principle on why people don't like the Bible. The Bible says there is absolute truth, and it's found in the man, Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says that there is only one way to God. Only one way. And you see, people don't like that talk. There's multiple ways. There is no absolute truth. There's truth in little pieces everywhere. There is no absolute truth. So when we talk about the Bible and we say we're a Bible-based church, we're claiming that we understand and know that there is absolute truth and that Jesus is the only way. And people do not like to hear that. They can't stand it. Why else does the world hate Christians? Well, uh, the wicked hate that their sin is being exposed. <laughs> you ever been caught doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing? Maybe it's just me. It's embarrassing, right? You don't, don't like that. You don't like someone to call you out. And, and Christians, since we know absolute truth, since we know the Scripture, we can say for sure what is right and what is wrong. Because God is the ultimate expert in morality and ethics. He wrote the book. So we look at what God says, and God says this is right and this is wrong. But the world says no. Since the Bible is not correct, there's no absolute truth. Sin, ethics, morality is subjective. And if you ever try to call out what is sin, to someone who believes that sin is subjective, it's a problem to them. How dare you judge me? You have no idea or no concept or no understanding. So the wicked hate us because their sin is being exposed and they don't want to deal with it. <laughs> they don't want, to, don't want to address it. What else? Well, the wicked, they hate our worship assemblies. They hate our worship assemblies. They don't, ugh, they can't stand, they don't, they don't want to be anywhere close to a church, let alone walk into the building because they walk in, they go, ugh, right? And what they claim is that the church is full of hypocrites, right? How can I, how can I, be involved with a religion or with a group of people or with a church when the church is full of hypocrites. And what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person that wears a mask. They're a pretender. And I believe, this is just my opinion, that the church is not made up of hypocrites, but we are people that fall short of the glory of God sometimes and we make mistakes. We mess up. We're broken people. We make mistakes, but the the world says, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. How can they do this and then do that? And that's why they, they hate it. And then lastly, here's what they really hate. The world hates, or the wicked hate, our, our mission. You know, I have a, a family member who is, is not a Christian, I would say agnostic, not really atheist. 
uh, and I was telling him about some of the work that I was doing uh, with the recording studio and some other ministries and stuff like that. And he said, Jason, so what you're telling me is that through this, you're trying to proselytize people? And he made it sound like a horrible thing. You're trying to convert people? So that's why you're doing what you're doing? Ugh, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, because that's what the Bible tells me to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? But the world says, leave people alone. Let them be who they are. Let them do what they do. Try to convert, right? And in my opinion, these are a few reasons why the world hates Christians. And I, I just want you to be aware of this, and many of you already know this because you experience it on a daily basis. You've been involved. You've, you've seen it. But yesterday, something just really pricked my heart as I was listening to this conversation. It really made me process this, and it's amazing that it falls in chapter 3 in which we're studying today of, of 1 John. So I thought it was a God moment, if you will. Let's move along to uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16. And I appreciate, Robert, having this as our, uh, our verse uh, scripture reading this morning. Uh, scripture says here, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, in thinking about that previous slide that I put up, that picture, uh, it, 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 the atheists ask a question. And the question that they ask is, does God exist? right? Does God exist? And, and, and really the question they're asking is, does love exist? Because the Bible tells us that God is love. So they're saying, does, does love exist? But they don't know that they're saying that. They don't know that they're asking that question. Because in their minds, people understand what love is. Love is looks like this. And you see the campaigns today in media and so forth and so on. Love is this. And the world is giving us a definition of what love is. They're letting us know, right, what love is. It'd be like our kids telling the parents, this is what love is. If a lay ever came up to me and said, Dad, I know what love is. Here's what it is. I would say, what are you talking about? You don't understand what love is. You don't get it. It's silly for the world to say to God, God, we know what love is, right? And that's what the world does. But the scripture tells me that God is love, and he made up the concept. So if we want to see what love is, we have to really understand this concept here. John defines love. He, he, he further spells it out by saying, love is this. Love is Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. And then if you really want to show people that you love them, if you really want people to understand this concept of love, you've got to lay down your lives for others. And that's the definition of love, laying down your life for another person just like Jesus did. So you know how, church, we're going to defeat evil in the world? You know how we're going to defeat hate in the world? Through love. And we have to love like Jesus did. You remember what your grandmama used to tell you? Kill them with kindness. Or maybe that's just my grandma. And evil people come your way, you kill them with kindness, right? Kill them with kindness. And I, I love that principle and I love that concept because I think that is in Scripture, right? When evil people come your way, that's why the Scripture says pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Kill them with kindness. You know, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. 
So I want to pose you with another question, and this is really practical in nature. The scripture says we've got to lay down our lives for others. So, so the question that I want to pose and I want to ask or answer this morning is, is, well, how do we do that? What does that look like practically? How do we today in the 21st century uh, in California, Southern California, how do we lay down our lives for others today, right? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three principles that you can kind of follow along and, and, and ponder with me together. You see, I think the first way that we lay down our lives for other people is we have to move from a me paradigm to a we paradigm. Does that make sense? We move from me to we. You see, the world teaches us to be selfish, doesn't it? It's all about us. And in the region that we're living in, that message is really, really out there. Life is about us. It's about our happiness. It's about what we can attain. It's about what we can do. It's about our time. It's about our money. It's about our relationship, personal relationship with God, right? It's about me. It's about us, right? But God teaches us in his book, that we've got to think about our neighbors first. So what he does is he completely flips that paradigm upside down. Instead of us, it's we first. And what I love is that the church is designed and the church is gathered to help us to understand this concept. You see, we don't attend church just for ourselves. We don't. We attend church to build up and encourage one another. And that's why I love this, and I'm going to ask you to do it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Amen. For some of you, well, let me stop. <laughs> that's hard for some people to do, because they're like, I don't even like it. No, let me stop. But <laughs> It's not about us. We, we're not here just for us, but we're here for each other. And we move from a me paradigm to a we paradigm. I'm here for you. How can I help and encourage and build you up? So that's point number one. That's how we lay down our lives. We, we transition our thinking a bit. It's not about me. It's about the we. It's about the team, right? Point number two is this, and this is tough for some people. In order to lay down our lives for people, we have to learn to be empathetic towards all. Yeah, we've got to learn to be empathetic towards all people. What does it mean to be em empathetic? Well, it means to show empathy, and empathy is the ability to place yourself in the shoes of another person. And Jesus was a master at feeling what other people felt. You know, and if we're going to lay down our lives for people, we have to be connected to what they're going through. Now, for us vets and many other people, you know, we've been conditioned not to be too empathetic because empathetic is weakness, right? And, and, and I, this is a struggle of mine. I'm not very empathetic with people. Throw some dirt on it and keep moving, right? You'll be all right. Pat you on the back, keep it moving. You'll be okay, right? And, and it's a challenge for me to be empathetic and place myself in the shoes of other people. That's why I think God gave me two daughters, right, to really help me understand this concept. I'm starting to get it now, right? So bad I'm losing my hair over it. No, I'm going to stop, but it's, it's, it's rough, all right? So we have to learn to be empathetic, you know, a couple of years ago, I want to show you this picture. I may, I may have shown this before, but uh, I really got to understand this concept. I, I think it was back in, was it 2007? I, I got to go to, seven or eight, got to go to Ethiopia. My grandfather helped establish a, a deaf school in, in Ethiopia along with uh, the great preacher brother Billy Curl. And they went out to Addis and established a deaf school um, out there. My grandpa put me on the plane. I got to fly back out with them. 
And, uh, you know, when you go to Ethiopia, you go on mission trips, you're thinking in your mind, you know, I'm going there to, 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 to do some life-changing work, right? I'm going to go serve the people. I'm going I'm to go there and I'm going to evangelize and preach the gospel. We're going to have a revival and ba- people are going to be baptized. And, and we were there and, you know, I, God really began to work on my heart. Uh, there, I remember one time we were out, we flew out to Gondar, which was the countryside and in Ethiopia, and our tour guide came up to me, and he said, Jason, do you want me to show you really what Ethiopia looks like? You're in Addis, you get to see the big city, you get to see, so he took me behind these curtains, and behind this back alley, and he took me out to this field, and, and I saw this with, with my own eyes, I took, a, I took a picture of it, and this is how people in Ethiopia, in Gondar, Ethiopia, were living. See, they made their houses out of old clothes, and tarps. There was no bathroom facilities, so they used buckets, there was really no food. So people had to bring food to them. And there were children running around everywhere, everywhere. You see, the worst of our homeless population in the state of California doesn't even live like this. This was horrible. And you know, that day God really placed on my heart, you know what, I, I, I think I get it now. Man, these people live like this, and for the first time, I really placed myself in their shoes. And I said, man, I don't know how they live like this. I don't know how they do it. And I appreciate those, uh, Cuberto and others, that, that go to the city of children down in Mexico. They really get to understand this concept, right, of what it looks like to really struggle. We've got to learn to be empathetic towards all people if we are going to be Christians, and not be so concerned with self. And then the scripture goes on to say this in the next slide. Now that we understand this concept of of empathy and placing ourselves in other people's shoes, here's the next step. You know, because you can't get to this step if you don't have empathy, right? If you look at that person that's on the side of the road, that sign, and you drive by, say, lazy, 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 right? Oh, they got a problem. They don't have to be in that situation. We've all been there before. You know, we've all been there before. Until I have a family member of mine that finds himself in that condition, do I really understand what they're going through? I used to drive on by. They're just, they can figure it out, right? And then you're in that condition or that situation or know someone that's really closely connected and all of a sudden your empathy level changes. And then what you do is you start thinking in terms of this. Scripture says here, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Oh, uh, you know, right on Marguerite this morning, or Felipe this morning, as I was driving uh, to the church, I saw a guy with a sign, right? And as I was processing the sermon, I almost didn't give. And then I said, you know, I'm preaching on this very concept. I was going to drive right on by, right? So I had to reach in that change, grab some change and, and throw it in there. People were honking at me because they were late for church too. Hurry up! <laughs> we we got to get to the worship. Instead of helping the people, let's get to church, right? You see, if we're really empathetic and we really love people and lay down our lives as Jesus would, we have to give of our material possessions. And let me tell you this. You may disagree because I somewhat disagree. You're rich. <laughs> Everybody in here is rich. Some of you guys, what are you talking about? If you knew, Jason, no, 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 no. If you're an American, you're rich. You really are, right? You're, you're rich. 
And that's according to the world standard because most of the world is, is, is really poor. So if you can open up your refrigerator and have some, some food in there and you can put gas in your car and you have shelter and clothes, you're rich. You're blessed because the rest, rest of the world doesn't live like that. So the scripture says if we're going to lay down our lives for people, we have to make sure we give up our resources to others. But, you know, too often we're so busy spending the resources up on ourselves that we don't have much to give to other people. And there lies the problem. Because we've got to do this with the money. We've got to take care of this. We've got to take care of that. So we can't really give to that. But if we're going to live like Jesus lived and really lay down our lives for other people, we have to give of our material possessions. As I close this morning, I want to give you a personal challenge. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 23 says this. I'm going to give you a personal challenge. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So it's really simple. It's really simple. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, if we're going to be people that really love each other, here's what we got to do. Number one, we got to believe in Jesus Christ. And as I look across the auditorium today, I'm sure most of you here this morning are, are Christians. You believe in Jesus Christ. There may be one or two of you that are kind of processing this, trying to understand who this Jesus character is, how he impacts your life. So most of us got this down, but if you don't, you, you always have the opportunity to come forward. We'll baptize you today. You can be added to the church, right? But most of us understand this concept. We believe in Jesus Christ. The second one is, is a little problematic. We got part A of this verse down. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, in order to get to part B, we've got to practice what we believe, right? Um, I think we have a church of about 200 here, give or take. Preachers count. I say 250, but probably about 200, right? We probably have about 200 members here. So guess what? You have 200 different opportunities to practice love by starting with your very own congregation. Right? It's, it's not that hard. You, you have 200 different opportunities if we're a church of 200. So I'm going to give you some action items. Here's your personal challenge for this week as we close this morning. Here's how you can start right now laying down your life for other people. You can start with your own church, your congregation, right? So here's some action items. I got three points for you, and then, and then we'll close, uh, and then we'll move on. So the first thing that we need to start with is, I, I think, start with home. You see, if I want to be effective and loving people outside of my home, it starts with my home. I got to love my wife and love my children, so forth and so on. So if we're going to be effective with loving people outside the church, it starts with the church, and then it overflows into the world. So here's what I want you to do this week. Write this down, and please try to do it. Treat a member to a cup of coffee or lunch this week. Do that. Do that. You know, some of us only see each other on Sunday morning here at the building, right? And for some of us, it's really quick because we're like, hey, all right, right? So we, we, don't, we don't really have that connectiveness. And I, and I completely understand because, because life is really, really busy. We all have things going on. However, I would encourage you this week to go out of your way to meet with a church member outside of these four walls or outside of this campus. So will you do that? Will you commit to that this week? Find one person, find a member, have a cup of coffee or have lunch. And that's it. It starts right there. That's, that's, we can all do that. And you, you buy it for them too. How about that? No? Okay. But treat, it, treat, it, treat a family member at church. Here's another one. This is outside of the church. I call them racks, and maybe we're going to have a rack campaign, random acts of kindness, right? We need to have a rack campaign, random acts of kindness. You know, every day we're presented with opportunities to show kindness to a stranger. 
every single day we're presented with opportunities, right? Um, however, in the busyness of our day, I don't think we recognize the opportunities. At least I hope we don't recognize them, or sometimes we even ignore them because we say we're too busy, right? So this week, I would really encourage you to do a random act of kindness. If you see someone struggling and there's opportunities to do it all over the place, help somebody put the groceries in their car. You know, somebody stalls out in the middle of the road, don't drive by them and beep, right? Get out and help them. There's a concept, right? Right. There's all, opportun- all kind of opportunities to help you. So, so do a random act of kindness, and I would love for you to email me and tell me what the experience was like and what you were able to do. Not to pat yourself on the back, but to really encourage the rest of us to say, hey, look, this is what happened as a result of just doing something nice for somebody else. It's powerful. And then lastly, I want to close with this. Pray for a non-Christian friend or family member. Okay? This is really important because I think everyone here this morning has a friend a colleague or a family member that is not a Christian, right? And I think that if we spend 10 minutes in prayer for that person this week, we might see something really neat happen. I don't know what. I'm not a prophet, not Jeremiah, okay? But I'm just saying, spend 10 minutes in prayer for that person, and I bet you something neat might happen. You never know what God would be doing. But the problem is we, we, we say people aren't coming to Christ, I think, a lot of times because we're just not spending time in prayer for these people. So this week I'm really encouraging and I'm going to challenge you to spend 10 minutes in prayer for someone who is not a Christian, asking God to soften their hearts and to be receptive to the gospel, and let's see what happens. So that's the personal challenge to you this morning. And I think as we close this morning, that's what John is communicating to us in 1 John chapter 3. We've got to love one another. We've got to love one another. And if we do that, if we do that, we can see some amazing fruit being produced here at this church. So by way of invitation, if there's someone here this morning that is not a Christian, we invite you to come. We'll baptize you today. You can be baptized in water, add it to the church. Maybe there's someone here this morning that is struggling in this area. You've been jaded. You've been calloused. I understand it. This world is rough, right? come forward. The church will pray with you and pray for you to encourage you to build you up. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation.